This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good to have you all along with us. I'm Ollie Kay, and with me tonight, stepping up from the subs bench, is Walt writer Steve. How are you getting on tonight, Steve? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, absolutely loving it at the moment. No football this weekend, which massively sucks. And joining us, as always, is the Alfred to my Batman. It's producer Matt. How are you getting on tonight, Matt? Would you like a cup of tea, sir? Yeah, no, I'm doing all right, Ollie. Thanks. Uh, a bit bored because it's Saturday and I've got no football. I don't really know what to do with myself. I've been uh, watching the TV show Succession. I've been absolutely smashing through it on the second season. Absolutely loving that. Having a couple of beers and stuff. Yeah. So Saturday is okay because I'm joined with you guys, I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Look, for me personally, I can't watch movies and TV shows. Oh, I can't watch TV shows as they're being released because then you get Game of Thrones where you're waiting like two years for for a conclusion and then they just go and just shit it down the bin, don't they? But yeah. nevertheless... Just really, really, really quickly. Sorry, Ollie. To interrupt you, that succession's finished. It had four seasons and it's done. Oh, has it? So you can't well, color me stuff. surprised. Yeah. I might have to go and check it out then. <laughs> Ticks that box on my list. But nevertheless, let's jump straight in. Have a look back at that game against Liverpool, as well as all the news around Kenilworth Road this week. In our news segment, I heard it through Rowan's Grapevine. Look, I can write notes till I'm blue in the face, but the take-home point is, fuck me, that second half was absolutely mega from Liverpool, wasn't it? 
you boys were both there, weren't you? Uh, I'll start with you, Steve. How was the atmosphere? A wall of noise. I'll, I'll give them credit. I mean, I, I think any of us that went to the FA Cup game were expecting the same. Oh, they'll do. You'll never walk alone alongside the track, and then it'll be just silence until something happens. And there was an element of that in the first half, but. There was a period in that second half, and I've seen tweets talking about it being like, from Liverpool fans saying it's like a, it was like a European night, and I'm not surprised because once that first went in, there was a period of 10, 15 minutes where the atmosphere was, I hope me. One of the best I've seen from the, from a home end at any away game I've ever been to, quite frankly. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like, uh, you know, I was watching a broadcast, like obviously a perfectly legal broadcast, I would just say. Um, and it sounded noisy. You know, you could tell the difference from the first to the second half. It was crazy. Um, you know, we should look at that Chiarog Bene goal because the first half was very interesting. Like, look, the scoreline of the first half papered over the cracks about how, you know, wasteful Luis Diaz was. In the first half, they had 12 shots. Two of those were big chances. One of them was a shot from Luis Diaz where he missed from, like, quite a good position and another was a gag post shot from a corner which was saved um and then obviously we got the other end an absolutely sensational piece of play from chio ogbene you know getting on the end of uh, that ball from tahif chong after again some fantastic build-up from him Corey woodrow what was it like steve when that went in absolute bananas right that was bananas that was fantastic like like you mentioned it was a really good move as well and I think we were, a lot of us were worried when, obviously, Adebayo missed the United game and we knew he was about for a while. But I, I honestly thought for the first hour, hour, almost maybe an hour, Corey Woodrow, I thought, was, albeit a, a much lower level than we were looking at, than we'd expect from for Adebayo, I generally thought Woodrow was terrific. Like you say, the move was excellent and I see it rebound perfectly and do the job. I know we've never won there, but once we got the half-time, there was a little bit of a thought that we might. No, not from me. Not from me, mate. Um, Like I said to the person I was watching it with, um, you know, this second half is about to become a half and a half because I knew what was going to happen. I sort of felt it. I really did. Um, And uh, I guess you can sort of have a look at Sambi Lakonga going off at halftime my personal feeling on it was that sort of did change the complexion of it. It could be a sliding doors moment. Like if Sambi Lakonga hadn't gone off, would Liverpool have gone on to, you know, uh, you know, uh, dominate the second half in the manner that they did? Now, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. Those thoughts definitely changed the minute I came back out the concourse and saw Perry in the middle of the park. And that's nothing against Perry Roddick because. I generally think Sambi Lokonga, if it hasn't been for, any, for his injury troubles over the past few years, would be part of a title-challenging squad at Arsenal this year. That's how good I genuinely think he is. And yes, I admit, Perry is going through the same transition he's had after every single promotion, where for the first half of the season, he's looked all at sea until he's got up to speed with things. The problem he's had this season is that in previous seasons, he's played a lot of that time, so half a season is a lot of minutes at the higher level. He hasn't had a lot of Premier League minutes because we've had Barkley, Nakamba and Lukonga. So he hasn't had a lot of time. Yes, we're never going to... At this moment in time, we don't know if he's going to get up to the level, but he hasn't had the amount of minutes he's had after previous jumps to see if he can get adjusted to the level yet. 
Yeah, you raise a really good point there, actually, because I guess every other jump that we've had, Pelly has sort of been in and around the squads playing a minimum of 36 games, hasn't he? Like every single season, uh, he's always been in and around the squad, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's played a lot of minutes in that first half of year, and it's those first half years after promotions. I genuinely believe has a huge amount of impact in the elements of the crowd that have had consistent issues with him being in the side because there are those periods where he has struggled with every promotion originally, and by the time he then got promoted out of those leagues, he has been a quality player. Now, I'm not saying he's going to make this jump to being a Premier League player. I'm not going to count him out, but I'm not going to say he's going to make that jump, but he just hasn't had the amount of time on the pitch he's had every other after every other promotion to be able to adjust himself to the level. And understandably so, because we have a ve- there's less games and we have quality players that we've had been able to put in instead of him to try and get results that we desperately need to stay at this level. Yeah, and but- look, every result matters as well at this point, doesn't it? Like, I, I've, I feel Pelly is a very good squad player. He is. Um, but at, at the end of the day, we are looking at, you know, Barkley, Sambi, Lakonga, and, you know, Marv, when he returns, who are three exceedingly good players, two, three very different players, but they're all very important. But when, uh, when Sambi Lakonga posted that message on Instagram that, you know, he'll be back on the pitch very soon, where he must have been overjoyed. I know I was like, we, it was, the discord was buzzing, wasn't it? I'd have to agree with that, certainly. It's the issue we have in the squad, particularly down the central areas, is I think we have currently one spare in those central areas where we can start. We have the current back three, who I think can do a job starting in the Premier League, and we Burke, who can do a job starting in the Premier League. Central midfield, we have Barkley, Conga, and Nakamba, who can do a job starting in the Premier League. So one back up again. And then up front, we have, I know we play one up front, we have Adebayo, we have Morris who can do a job up front, with Brown coming in out wide, or Brown doing the job up front, with Morris staying out wide. Once we lose two players in any of those central areas, we are suddenly starting a player who is probably at this stage only good to be a role player off the bench. And that's a big issue. But that was always going to be the case this season. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Um, But getting back to the game, that's not to say we didn't have a go in the first half. They weren't exactly demolishing us in the first half. Possession was pretty even. We still had five shots. We cut them open a few times, like like with the goal. And most importantly, we went in ahead. The second half was a different beast entirely. They had 17 shots. They created four big chances. They started dominating possession, turning over the ball in very dangerous areas. And Rob Edwards described it as, uh, and, and you, you, Steve, have said pretty much what... Uh, what Rob Edwards has iterated saying, we saw the real Anfield. Um, but how was it seeing Alfie Doughty go off injured? Like, look, I have no news about that. Like with the Sambi Lekonga one, I knew that he went for an MRI. I'm just surprised he got his results back so quickly. I have to start going to whatever hospital he's going to. Um, but when Doughty went off, because we got no news about it, I imagine all the fans were just very deflated, right? Probably precautionary. We're already 3-1 down. Yeah, well, we I mean, we're just hoping it's precautionary. We haven't heard anything. I mean, the left is the worst side. Again, we, we don't know the, the status, how up to speed with life in the UK. Our new right back is, but on paper, we have more depth at right wing back than we do at left back wing back as well. So it's the wrong side for that to happen in some regards. Yeah, well, um, 
Yeah, look, it's best to just draw a line under the Liverpool game. We have some FA Cup fun and then back to the league action. But I guess we can look at other news, can't we? So the LTDSA, that is the Luton Town Disabled Supporters Association, their annual general meeting is coming up Wednesday, 6th of March. And luckily for us, we have Steve Moore with us today to talk about it. So Steve, what, what is expected from the annual general meeting? Like with a lot of things, the COVID epidemic has put a kibosh on a lot of things. The organisation had been starting to make some real impact. We Hatter's vision has come in, that's a, that was a big thing. And we'd started to make some impacts to the life of disabled supporters at the football club. But obviously the difficulty of meeting in person has really, really took a step back on that. This coming year is going to be huge for the Disabled Supporters Association in terms of kick-starting things back up again. I mean, we've seen more articles in the programme already and we're going to start doing more with that. Obviously, the bog standard part, the AGM, will be your nominations for positions and stuff like that. We also have Gary Sweet turning up for a Q&A with yours truly. He's going to be doing a presentation about disabled facilities at Power Court. And then I will be having a Q&A myself with Gary to talk about disabled issues at both the new ground and the old ground. And then we're going to have it open to the floor as well. So we're going to have questions on disability issues for supporters in regards to the football club. So, and Gary is willing to answer those. So we're looking forward to a quite open meeting. We have the John Moore Lounge at the football club and we've had a much better uptake than we have had since COVID. So it's almost full live already. But what we do have as well is it's going to be broadcast live on Teams and the Teams chat's going to be open for those questions. We've got an Eventbrite link that you can sign up to and hopefully it'll be in the show notes on the description to try and get the link to the Teams chat if you're unable to go. Otherwise, we'll have the, there's the email rsvp at ltdsa.co.uk. Hopefully we can have that in the show notes as well to sign up for one of the few remaining places live or you can email that link if you'd rather go that way rather than Eventbrite and we will send you the Teams link as well. Yeah, look, we will share the information out as well um, and we, we will make sure that we get as many people there as possible and we'll share it across all our platforms as well. But in other news, Joe Taylor now has two goals in two games, notching a very cheeky goal after just two minutes in that. 2-0 win for Lincoln over Port Vale. He intercepted a free kick in Port Vale's half from Nathan Smith, pushed it central and just levered it past Connor Ripley. And as we always say, it looks like we have a proper prospects in Joe Taylor. So, Steve, you're you're a Welshman, proud Welshman. So, when is he making the full Wales squad then? I'm not sure it'll be yet. He's not at the top of the list of the next guys up. I'll be entirely honest, mainly because I think the next guy up in terms of a central role would have to be more in a target man mould because of the importance to the national team of Kiefer Moore. So you're probably looking at Will Evans at Newport or Paul Mullen, and I'm actually more in the Will Evans camp than I am the Paul Mullen camp now. But I certainly think Joe Taylor's going to end up with a Welsh cap, certainly. His biggest issue is because of stylistically him being a quick forward player is he is likely to be competing in wide forward areas, wide forward areas, with the likes of Brennan Johnson, who has obviously cost an awful lot of money to go to Spurs, and he's starting to pay a little bit of that price tag. Nathan Broadhead, who 
He's scoring a lot of goals and being a key part of a champion of a potential prom- promotion push to the pre- Premier League with Ipswich. So he's behind quite a few players in those areas. And then you think the more creative players in those wide areas like Brooks and Harry Wilson, who are obviously quite considerably above him in the pecking order. I'll, I'll move you on there because like, me, like every other English person listening to this, frankly, does not give a shit about the Welsh squad because they're, they're an embarrassment to the home nations. So we'll, we'll move on to more interesting news in the Premier League. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Burnley lost to Crystal Palace. I guess that's one of those games where he wanted both teams to lose, but it was a case of Palace being rejuvenated under Oliver Glasner. Uh, or Burnley being really, really shit. Who knows, I guess. Uh, Brighton fortunately got a late equaliser in injury time, which kept Everton in spitting distance of us, and Nottingham Forest lost to Aston Villa. So that's a good result. Um, and of course, we'll be playing Aston Villa next in the league. So, you know, we can repay them, say thanks to them by, you know, trying to get the three points. Um, and moving on to the Luton Town ladies. They've been busy in the transfer market. They made three new signings. So, Sayan Leander, who's returning to Luton Town ladies. Defender Minnie USL, who impressed during trials. And at 17, she could be making an immediate impact in the first team from a young age. And midfielder Shean Suarez, who's no relation, who is expected to make an instant impact in midfield and hopefully not take bites out of the opposition unless they're Italian. Um, but also, by the time you're listening to this, the ladies would have played their rescheduled Bedfordshire County Cup quarterfinal against Woburn and Waverden Lionesses. And the entire We Are Luton Town team wish them the very best of luck and hope they make the semis. But here's the interesting one while we're talking about ladies football. Kenilworth Road has been selected to host the Women's National League Cup final, which I think is great news for the women's game. Um, regardless of whatever keyboard warriors might be saying in the Twitter comments, the Kenny will be the first Premier League venue to host the competition's final game. And that will either be played on the 23rd or the 24th of March. Uh, the semi-final matchups are Halifax versus Hashtag United and Portsmouth versus Newcastle. Meaning it could be a very interesting final. But Steve, I'll ask you this. How come this competition is being hosted? at Kenilworth Road, whereas the Luton Town ladies are unable to play at Kenilworth Road. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. Obviously, you'd have to speak to the respective arms of the women's and men's club. I'll be, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I think it's good that we are starting to use Kenilworth Road as a place for women's football in whatever capacity. I'll be entirely honest. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, it's in the press release. We're talking, there's a bank already Monday coming up in May, immediately after we have the big weekend in the town. That will be the 40th anniversary of the second leg of the final of the first official women's UEFA sanctioned women's Euros. That second leg was played at Kenworth Road. We yeah, have a history of women's football. Exactly. We have a history of women's football at this ground and it should be kept up and in whatever capacity I'm pleased the football club is starting to realise that and do little bits and hopefully at some point in the future if the ladies team want to do that there will be a possibility of playing games there in the future I I hope there genuinely is a possibility because right now as it stands the Lusentown ladies are having such issues getting their games played because Barton is not fit for for this weather. Like, essentially, you, you can rule out, like, two months of the season with heavy rain where the clay pitch just 
doesn't react well to the water at all it's it's ridiculous i guess i guess we'll see what happens really it's called barton le clay for a reason isn't it it's just all clay and all the water settles but you know like i could go on a rant that could last an hour and i'm, I'm not gonna do that right now but that that's all the news from around kenilworth road this week now it's time for discord and whatsapp questions Okay, guys, so yeah, we uh, no longer are on Telegram, uh, just due to the fact that there was actually no participation from there. So we've uh, just moved to the Discord and WhatsApp community, so if you want to join those, the links are in the community pages. Uh, there is no Mark the Hat Soup question of the week this week. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't give Mark enough question time to prepare for this, so don't blame him, blame Ollie. If anyone. <laughs> Whoopsie. Uh, so <laughs> let's move on to the first question. So it's from the Tsar at Discord. They said, should Rob rest key players like Barkley, Morris, Mengi, Doughty, or Benny on Tuesday? What are your thoughts, Steve? Well, I may be in a minority of one on this, but I would rather reach the cup final and get relegated and stay up. So I Ooh. think that answers that question. That's a terrible take, Steve. Okay, conch- <laughs> controversial uh gone ollie what's your thoughts oh i couldn't be further from that no uh look i think there's enough turnaround time for for us to play a strong team in the cup and then play a strong team against aston villa however unlike steve i would not shed one tear if we were to get dumped out the cup by man city but i would put survival in the premier league way above the fa cup but i think this goes back to what i said like a few podcasts ago there are fans you can split the fans into two tiers essentially well not tiers because that that sort of suggests hierarchy You, you can put them into two camps those that were around and there for the 94 cup run like steve so they hold the fa cup to a certain standard and then fans like me that were around the next season who had never really seen a cup run, so couldn't give two shits about it. That's my take on it anyway. Can I just come back on that? Uh, the way I see it, it's like, I understand your point of view, but at the end of the day, we live in a world where there are only seven teams in the country that will never get relegated with the Premier League. Whether we get relegated in the Premier League this season or in five season times, it's happening because there's only the traditional big six and Newcastle with the money they now have, who can realistically never expect to get relegated in the Premier League. That's a pretty much statistically proven fact. Not yeah. every team gets to play in the FA Cup final. It's a, it, And what are we doing supporting a football club unless it's to have moments like that, moments like the playoff final? Yeah. See, I'm of the camp that I'd rather... Uh, we do rest the players and keep a league run going just because the future of the club in my opinion if we stay up I think that's much better for the club personally that's my my. I know I understand that I understand that Matthew <laughs> but and, and it is if we have a second year in the Premier League under the current way the finances are doled out and the way we would then get automatically an extra year of re- relegation parachute payments yes it is much better for the future long term of the club However, you give me the opportunity to go to a cup final, that's 
that to me is, at the end of the day, unlike a lot of clubs, we know what's on the other side. We know the worst case scenario. And for me, frankly, the possibility of winning an FA Cup, winning silverware, is worth anything. It's worth much more than 20 years of being the 12th best team in the country. And that's why we have the question and the polls, so that we have different opinions. Let's move on to the next question. This is from Optimistic Hatter, also known as Christian. You might have heard him on the Spacious uh, on Discord. He said, do we feel like injuries are completely to blame for the last couple of poor performances? So I'll quickly weigh in with my opinion on this. I think it's potentially had some bearing. I think that, for example, Adebayo going off did scupper the plan against United. I think potentially Laconga had a bit of a disruption for the Liverpool game. So I think maybe there is a little bit of weight behind the injuries, but I don't think it's the whole uh, answer to... I'm not even going to say they were poor performances. I just think they were results we didn't necessarily want to get. Um, I just I think they led into it a tiny bit, but I think unfortunately we were going against very strong teams. Ollie, what's your thought? Yeah, look, I I get where you're coming from. I don't think the injuries have really had a massive issue. Like, yeah, Lukonga going off for half time was you know a big kick in the teeth. Um, however, I think the poor performances. I would say perhaps it's a bit like Icarus. We're flying a bit too close to the sun. Look, we turned Brighton over, one of the best teams in the league. We turned them over 4-0, playing some absolute sensational football. And it's given us a taste of that. So that's why over the past five games, we've been more adventurous, defending one-on-one at the back, um, taking more risks. I would say... It's the risk we're taking, playing out from the back. We're getting caught out just that little bit more. You know, one or two errors a game, they are costing us. They are now. Um, so, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's the injuries completely to blame. Not at all. No, just individual errors, really. Steve, what's your thoughts? I think it's somewhere between the two. I'll be entirely honest. I think there were times in the United game where you could see Doughty and Ogbeni particularly getting positions 35 yards out, well, 35 yards from the byline, wanting to put hang a ball in for Adebayo and suddenly he's not there. And that, I think, had an effect. By the time we played Liverpool, I think they had, they'd had time to game plan for that. And yes, while I was hoping our time for a win, I still wasn't expecting a win, but certainly we lost. I don't think with Lukonga we'd have had half as much of the initial pressure from Liverpool that we ended up having. And maybe we could have definitely got one more point up those two games. But equally, like Ollie says, I think the Brighton and Newcastle performances have started to make us put a higher baseline on what we want from games when we go into them. I think most people would have taken one point from Liverpool away, Manchester United at home, and we were in some regards, unlucky to not get well, at least one point from those two games. Okay, the next question is from Pete from WhatsApp. He said, we have to take a decent amount of points from the next four games. If we don't get them, realistically, are we down? Steve, what's your thoughts? Uh, it depends what you mean by realistic amount of points, I suppose. 
uh, I've always, until, basically until today, I always had Palace in my sights because a bit like Rob Edwards, my table had Everton with 10 more points than the official table. Uh, and in my mind, particularly while Hodgson was there, and that's nothing against Hodgson, I always thought he's a massively underrated manager. I thought, particularly the injuries they're getting to the very few attacking players, i.e. Eze and Arise, that they have that are any good at all, I thought they were very catchable. Obviously, the result they've got on Saturday makes me think that maybe Forest are actually the ones where they get points deduction or not. I still think the Palace game is huge. I think we cannot afford to lose at Selhurst Park. And you're right, I do think we need a realistic amount of points for the rest of the games. If we don't get that, I think we're hoping that come three days after the end of the season, Everton have at least 15, 20 points taken off. What's your thoughts on that, Ollie? Well, I feel we have three very vital games coming up after Aston Villa. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Bournemouth, Palace. Like, I agree with Steve that we have to win at Selhurst Park. We really do. I do think their win on Saturday was purely because Burnley are just absolute dog shit more than the new manager bounce, really. Uh, it seems anyone can beat Burnley other than us, which is a real shame. <laughs> uh, but at the end of the day, if we were to, you know, realistically go down, it's it's mainly because our performances against Sheffield United and Burnley over the course of the season, four games, and, you know, we've won once, drawn once in those four games. It's quite It's quite bad, you know, when you look at it that way. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say we're realistically down, but it'll take a cavalier effort in the final run of games. Anyone listening, Ollie had a very sad face on just then, talking about those uh, Burnley and Sheffield games. Okay, last uh, last question. Hopefully a bit of fun to be injected in this. It's a bit of a, uh, a fun one. I'll add my opinion in as well. Jaylock from Discord said, who would win in a fight? All of the people who've said this season that Luton have always been their second team or americans who love an underdog story who are now following luton <laughs> um i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna cast my vote on the uh the people that have said luton are their second team i feel like a lot more of them have sprung out of the woodwork this season and are suddenly showing up and showing a bit of support for luton which obviously i'm not i'm not adverse to um, I feel like there's there's far more, just due to the sheer volume of people in this country specifically that are following football versus America. Um, I think I think they would uh, probably win that fight. Uh, Ollie, go on. What's your thoughts? Look, I, I'm I'm with the Yanks. I I love the Yanks. <laughs> they're they're hilarious. Um, it's like fuck the people that say Luton have always been their second team. Like, look, if you're gonna support, for, I don't believe in second teams. I have a soft spot for Lace Norrie, but I wouldn't say they're my second team. But the the Americans who have literally, you know, picked Luton because of the underdog story. I'd say the funniest story I've heard about an American that picked Luton Town. They were literally they used a random number generator to sort out brackets, and they did a coin flip through the brackets to pick a team. And they, you know, the final coin flip was between Brentford and Luton. And they're like, I will die for Luton Town now just because just because of a coin flip. I th- I find that's hilarious. And fair play to them. They're buying the merch. They're joining the, join the supporters' trust. 
fair play Sam. We even have a fan in Alaska. And that's hilarious because other than watching football, what else is there to do in Alaska? That's brilliant. That was, I will say, that was an incredible day when they joined the server. We've got uh, <laughs> the Discord server. We've got a few Yanks on there now. Americans, sorry. Um, and it is, uh, we've got a few different shifts on the Discord server between the UK, America and Australia. So it's a lot of fun. Steve, go on. Who's going to win the fight? Yeah, well, I, I love that story about the coin flip, mainly because our most famous fan of all time. That's how he became a Luton fan. His dad lived in Harpenden. They lived in Harpenden, and he tossed a coin. Which which game are we going to go to? And it very much went the right way down for us, shall we say? Uh, but yeah, I think purely on pure numbers, I think the second team has win a fight. As much as we love the Yanks that have decided on that. Purely because I think we're still very secondary in terms of Yanks loving an underdog story to Yanks, Yanks loving an underdog story who have decided to throw throw their 10, pay, well, 10 cents in with the Deadpool lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's no there's no Luton Town documentary, is there? There's no Welcome to Wrexham, there's no Sunderland. But, you know, fair play. Fair play, mate. Like, that's why they have more numbers and that's why they win in the fight <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> playing the numbers game oh anyway great questions as always thank you to everyone for submitting them now let's get some words from our sponsors how's the podcast sounding great right That's because I'm recording this on a carry-on podcasting microphone, your portable solution for audio and musical instruments. Together with Blackstar Amplification, they are We Are Luton Town's audio partner and are the reason why we are giving away a Blackstar Bluetooth Fly 3 amp every month of the season. Keep an eye on our socials to be in with a chance of winning a Blackstar Fly 3 amp so whether you're rocking out or just want a speaker to connect your music to, you have a boombox wherever you go. We're also sponsored by Beard Surgeon, who taught me the proper way to take care of my beard. Because I've been doing it wrong all along. With Beard Surgeon Oils, their sense and unique blend of cannabis sativa seed oil will make your beard feel and smell excellent. As well as preventing breakouts on your skin. You can get 15% off on Beard Surgeon Oils on orders through their website, beardsurgeon.co.uk, by using the code WALT15. But Ian, why is this podcast different from all other podcasts? I don't know, Ollie. Why is this podcast different to all other podcasts? Because there's a joke in here. All right, let's see how this joke goes down. Uh, so a guy walks into a bar, and he orders 12 shots. Before the bartender even returns with the card machine, the man has slammed back half the shots, shows no signs of slowing down. This guy finishes the final shot, the bartender says, why are, you, why are you drinking so fast? The guy wipes his mouth and replies, you'd be drinking fast too, if you know what I've got. The bartender says, what have you got? As he runs out the door, the guy says, two pound. <laughs> good stuff good stuff Matthew well done okay 
Okay, now let's look ahead to our next fixtures, which is an FA Cup fifth round tie against Man City and Aston Villa, who are both coming to Kenilworth Road. Okay, so we are doing things a bit different this week because we have Nigel Rothband from The Man City Show. How are you getting on this evening, Nigel? Uh, very well. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. I see you around like where where we both live. We're both local to each other. Um, but I've got to ask about your Kenilworth Road experience because you actually made it to Kenilworth Road for the 2-1 Man City victory earlier this season. It's a wonderful stadium, isn't it? Uh, no, it's not. Um, it's awful. Um, but no, it, it takes me back to, to my first game back in 1964, you know, when football grounds were football grounds. I mean, people told me about going over the rickety bridge and looking into people's bathroom windows and stuff. I didn't believe them. But of course, uh, that's exactly what we did. Um, no, listen, great, great atmosphere. Great ground. Um, was a thrill to be there. Uh, and you guys took the lead, of course, which was a bit of a shock. Um, I don't think there was any doubt about the result, but even so, at half time it was a bit of a worry. But uh, no, I thought you did well first half, but uh, the quality showed in the end. But it was a great, great experience. Uh, so, Nigel, uh, surprisingly, Man City don't have quite the same pedigree in the FA Cup that they have in the league, having won only three times in the last 20 years. Do you think Pep will mean business this season when he comes to the Kenny? I think Pep wants to win every game and every competition he's in, doesn't he? Um, I think you're being slightly unkind. I mean, we are the FA Cup holders, remember? Just to remind you, having beaten that lot from just outside Manchester um, in the final last year. Um, listen, Pep wants to win everything. It, we, we, we just won five trophies in the last year. We, we are the treble winners. No one has won the league, the Premier League, four times on the trot. He's absolutely determined to do that. Um, and, you know, the FA Cup, I think he takes really, really seriously. The Carabao Cup, he's taken seriously. We won that, did we win that three three years on the trot as well? So I think every cup competition he takes seriously. Um, it's not going to be easy. As you said, you know, under the lights at your ground, uh, you'll be up for it. A uh, chance for you to get some silverware. Um, the champions are coming to town. You want to maybe sort of get your own back from that uh, 2-1 victory earlier in the season in the league. I think it, it won't be straightforward. I'm sure he will rotate as well. We've got a hell of a schedule coming up, both in Europe and, and the Premier League. Got some big games. So, you know, we won't be full strength. So it could be very interesting, Matt. And that does actually lead quite nicely into the next question. Uh, do you foresee many changes ahead of the game? Obviously, with the title race being the closest and most open it's been for a while. I, I'm sure he will have said that already. I'm sure he will. Um, but you kind of you look at the bench that we had in the league game uh, at the weekend, you know, against uh, Bournemouth. You know, to be able to bring on sort of Doku and Grealish was sat there, and a bloke called Kevin De Bruyne sort of had a few minutes at the end as well. I mean, it, it's a fantastic squad. It's not the biggest squad. We know that it's not the biggest squad. It's one of actually one of the smallest squads in the league. Um, but quality from front to back. Um, but he will. You know, you've got some of the some of the youngsters. The guy, uh, a lad uh, called Oscar Bob, who I'm sure you've heard of, who's absolutely fantastic. I could see him maybe featuring as well. Rico Lewis. So we could see a couple of the younger lads. Um, but as I say, so quality that we've got, we we can afford to rotate, and I probably hope. I think we've probably still got enough quality. I hope you don't come out with a weak side. I'm looking forward to a bit of a challenge. Um, <laughs> Uh, lastly, I want to say, obviously, Man City are without a doubt the best football team on the planet right now. However, do you think Man City legacies will be tarnished due to all the murky stuff going on in the background, what, the 115 charges? 
Pep's past proclivity for doping or even his long-standing relationship with Dr. Romano? Uh, listen, you, you, you're right. I, I think we probably are the best team on the planet at the moment. I've kind of already said, you know, five trophies in a year, treble winners. We, we're in line to win the treble for the second time, potentially. I mean, that's just never been done before. No one's ever won the Premier League four years on the trot. We could do that. People, it's interesting, people, so you talk about being the best team on the planet, people say we're having a bit of a dodgy season. You know, we've won every single Champions League game, we've progressed to the knockout stages, we're winning in our first leg of our last 16 tie, we're, we're through to the FA Cup against the mighty Luton, um, we're, we're one point behind the league leaders in the Premier League, and it's not such a bad season, I don't think. We're doing all right, and as you say, the quality that we've got on the pitch you know, we were talking before we came on air, you, you you, yourself, Matt, were talking about Phil Foden. I mean, what a footballer he is. What a season he's having. Um, we've got quality front to back. Haaland, you know, everything's been said. I've got nothing to add about Haaland other than he didn't score today. And it's like headline news around the world. Um, Rodri, what a player he is. You know, listen, every single position, we're absolutely fantastic. And what about Pep? Well, he's undoubtedly the best manager, I think, that we've ever seen as well. Um, he's reinvented football you see lads on a Sunday morning playing out from the back now you know John Stones who was you know a decent centre-back at Barnsley now he's he's like one of the greatest sort of midfielders that land has ever seen the the way he brings players on and develops players onto the charges I know that's really what you want to hear about I've talked about the greatest team um I think we have to recognise and understand, and I'm sure all you guys would appreciate that people are innocent until proven guilty and City have been pretty determined. Um, they have been robust in their defence of these charges and have said very, very clearly that we are innocent of all charges. Um, and I think people have to be quite careful. I know you've answered a very, you've asked a very open question, but many, many people, many journalists have already written City off as being guilty before being proven of that. Yes, of course, we'll have the best lawyers in the land, I'm sure, looking at it. I'm sure they'll be paid a pretty packet for their services. But at the end of the day, City are innocent until proven guilty. And let's wait and see what happens. If we're guilty, then we take the punishment, whatever that might be. Maybe a fine, we may, back, may go back to Division 3, um, and we'll you know, probably get 45,000 every week back in Division 3. It'll be marvellous. We'll enjoy the ride, I'm sure. Uh, but just remember, Matt, innocent until proven guilty. It's an interesting one you say about lawyers being paid pretty packets. I've heard one of your lawyers is on more money than Kevin De Bruyne. That's outrageous. I, I, I shall write then. That's, that's ridiculous. I shall be writing in the morning um, to the <laughs> Daily Telegraph to complain about no one, nobody, possibly Rodri, but nobody should be earning more than Kevin De Bruyne. Possibly Rodri and possibly Pep, but that's not going to happen either. What a uh, player Kevin De Bruyne is. Come on. You, even you guys, you know, you, 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 you've got some good players, but Kevin De Bruyne, he sees things that no one else sees. He's got that vision that he has, that grace that he has. He has more time than any other player. It's mag and I, I watch this every week. What a joy this is to watch some of these great players week in, week out. It really is a joy. It's fantastic. And I know it goes in cycles. Yeah, let's enjoy the ride. Pep's not going to be around forever. Um, and, you know, who's going to replace him? God only knows. David Pleat, maybe. I don't know. God rest his soul. Um, but, you know, who, who, who knows? Who knows? But, but you know, we are enjoying the ride. We're enjoying the ride at the moment. It's absolutely magnificent. What, what a time to be a City fan. So, to paraphrase Monty Python, he's not dead yet. Uh, long live David Pleat. What a man. 
absolutely in that in that terrible tan polystyrene suit that he he danced around in those terrible shoes, the plastic shoes. A very shabby suit it was, I thought at the time, and still do today. But there we go. <laughs> Look, doing please, his jig across the main road pitch. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just of relegated course. you. He was he was jubilant, absolutely jubilant, and quite rightly so. <laughs> Quite right too, absolutely quite right too. And the rest, and the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, uh, but you know, I have to say, you did swerve like all of Matt's questions there, like an absolute pro. But I do want to ask you because Pep Guardiola's past, he has been known to associate with a Dr. Ramon Sugat, who is a bit of a dodgy geezer. If I'm going to, you know, not mince my words, and you know. Pep has been done for doping before. Sure, all the allegations were dropped. But the way Man City compete across five competitions, don't you, like, take take the bias, that you know, the, the sky blue or, you know, the blue moon goggles off for a second. Is there some part of you that thinks perhaps there are some performance-enhancing supplements at play here to allow City to go and go again? Because it's not like your squad's the biggest. No, what I, what I do what I do think, Ollie, actually, is the investment in our football club has been magnificent. It's not just the investment in the team; it's in the women's in the women's team. It's in the stadium. We're just about to redevelop the stadium even further, to build a museum, to to, to build a hotel, to be a a big conference center, um, to 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 completely rebuild one of the stands, um, and it's about the employment of local people. Um, it's been the whole region of East Manchester has been completely redeveloped by this amazing investment from our investors. And that's what they've done. That's what they've done. They brought money into the club, into the into the region, into the area. Um, as far as Pep's concerned, I think again you have to be quite careful talking about dodgy geezers. Um, you know, I, th- I think you just have to be slightly careful in terms of your language. Pep Guardiola is the greatest manager on the planet. You would admit even you, Ollie, even you, Ollie, would admit that, I'm sure. Um, what he has achieved in the in the clubs he's been at, um, and I think you know he's not he's not been he's not been found guilty of anything at Manchester City, and even most of these hundred and fifteen charges, does Pep Guardiola really have some responsibility for that? Is that not the ownership? Is that not the leadership team of the club? Does Pep does Pep really have much responsibility for that? He identifies the best players, he brings them in, he nurtures them, he improves them. Not everybody works out. We can talk about Calvin Phillips. There aren't many failures like that. But most of the people who come to Manchester City turn into fantastic footballers and, and improve great footballers improve, improve further under Pep Guardiola. I think his legacy will be as that, as probably one of the greatest ever managers. Yeah. Not a dodgy you know, geezer. Nah, I wasn't saying he was a dodgy geezer. I was talking about the doctor that he associates with. Yeah, like I've been told that you're a dog. Yeah, interesting story about the haircut. I went to the barber and I told him exactly what I wanted. He said, "Don't worry, bro. I'll give you a good haircut. I don't think I'll be going back there again." <laughs> I I'd suggest you don't. Yeah, not that no. I'm in any position to talk about. Hair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Nigel. It is look, it's great having you on. Really appreciate your time, mate. Thank you. Thank you, Nigel. All the best, guys. A big thanks to 
Nigel Rothband for joining us for this podcast. Uh, we might as well have a quick look ahead to Aston Villa, although we'll look at it more in depth during our post-match phone-in. Uh, but I, can I get a word from you, Steve, about whether this has become a must-win because of the teams above us just seemingly, they're pulling away from us? Well, I think we desperately need at some point to stop having these games that are good performances with no points on the board at the end of the door, at the end of the day, no matter who the opposition are. Now, I think Villa are a very good side this season. I even have an outstanding bet at work about the fact they're going to finish in the top four, which, shall we say, I'm not as confident now as I was when I placed the bet. Uh, but I do think we, we need to take a scalp at home because we are running out of time. And while we have a very good run on paper of games in terms of the position of our opposition in the rest of our home games for the rest of the season, I think the Sheffield United game proved that our, tactically the way we are now playing does not suit teams that come and want to play a low block against us. And that is much more likely to be true of teams in and around us than it is going to be of teams at the top end of the division. So in that sense, in some ways, the Villa game might be the easiest home game we've got left this season. Yeah, for sure. They're going to come and attack us. The main thing is when they do attack us and they start isolating, you know, Diaby, Bailey, Watkins against uh, Menke, Bell, Osho, that is where I'm starting to get very concerned. Um, and hopefully we do move to a more pragmatic type of uh you know defensive side of the game instead of this sort of kamikaze one-on-one -on -one defending that we've been doing for the past few uh games because at the end of the day we've been shipping in goals at an alarming rate pretty much since newcastle it's been concerning to some extent like yeah it's great seeing the swashbuckling play you know going forward with purpose playing out from the back but at the end of the day we do need to prevent the goals from going in i i get that i understand that i think you only have to look at the villa away game which i would still maintain was quite possibly our worst performance of the season to question mark whether going too far in the other direction doesn't work either and whether, given that, I'm sorry, but on paper we do have the weakest man-for-man -man squad in the league, I, I would still maintain that, whether tactically we have to go to one extreme or the other. And I think most of us would rather play this way than the way we were playing in those away games, certainly around that time of the Villa away game where it was looking very worrying that we were going to be looking very much all at sea for a lot of this season. Yes, I see the weaknesses. I obviously see the weaknesses. There is incredible pace in that Villa attack and it is unbelievably high risk. Equally, any team that played, when we played a very low rock against them, it was very, very easy for them. So we might as well be more aggressive in our defensive line and see how that goes. I understand, like you say, Ollie, that there are huge weaknesses there and huge risks involved in that. And it's been shown up on a weekly basis. It's whether over the course of the rest of this season, that is going to get us more points than going to the ultra-conservative style that we had played for quite a lot of the early season, particularly away from home, 
And I would still maintain we are likely to get more points playing this way than we were the way we were playing earlier on in the season. Yeah, I, I would sort of suggest that we go to like an inverse mullet. Like instead of party at the back, uh, business at the front. Business at the back, party at the front. So I don't even know what that would kind of be called. It would sort of be a flappy like hairpiece, like straight back and sides, kind of with, like how I wish my hair looked right now. Um, you know, where we can be that defensive unit at the back, you know, defend with one defensive midfielder. Perhaps that will change when Marvellous Nakamba comes back in and, you know, we'll play him as like a designated defensive midfielder and maybe shift our formation again. Look, who knows? But I feel our attacking play, especially with Chio and Doughty, has been a joy to watch. And it's, it's very important that we kind of do keep that adventurous nature but i wish we could also you know tighten up at the back but i'm not asking for too much am i <laughs> but I, <laughs> no yeah. but what what i would say is well tactically i still believe this is the better way of going very few things uh, do i think are we better player for player than a lot of Premier League sides. I do think one of the things we do have with this current back three, and even to a degree we're about to come in for one of them, is we are quicker than most back threes in the league. Hence why we are playing this ultra high line. The one thing we may be able to do while still doing that is on occasion, and I think I would say Osho's quite possibly the worst at it at this moment in time, is just a bit more awareness of when the situation in one of those break situations is once you win it, get rid of it, reset, and we'll go again. Certainly at least one of the goals against Sheffield United, if not two of them come from that. Certainly at least one of the goals against Liverpool comes from that. Look, all very good points. Um, I guess we, we wait and see what happens, and I'm sure the, the coaching staff are working hard to try and negate Aston Villa, who have their very own threats. Um, but we will never do score predictions on this pod because we're very superstitious. Again, there is no hash roller because due to its popularity, it's getting moved to its own release schedule. That's us done for this week. You can listen back to our post-match phone-ins across all podcast providers and our YouTube. Please check out our socials. We are Luton Town on Facebook. We are Luton Town on Twitter. The Walk Podcast on Twitter. We're also on TikTok, Instagram, WhatsApp, Discord, and Reddit. You can find all these on our website, wearelutontown.co.uk. Follow across all socials to be involved in monthly giveaways, including Beard Surgeon Beard Oils, Black Star Fly Free Amps, and Luton Town Shirts. Thank you all for tuning in. Sports Social Podcast Network.